her 40% uh, shareholding. Um, and so they, to have a poison pill, they had to put it to shareholders and they excluded the, uh, the top shareholder from the voting. So he so didn't have his votes counted, basically. Absolutely dreadful. Sorry? <laughs> he didn't have his votes counted, even though he, was, uh, the 40%, he owned 40% of the shares. Uh, he, when he tried to vote, they basically weren't counted. Yes, I mean, the optics are absolutely dreadful. Mm. But like I say, it should have been dealt with much before that. In any other country, then this would have, um, this would have caused problems that have been dealt with. But the way that it was dealt with really doesn't look good. Why did he want a 40% stake in this company? If it's just a tiny company, I don't even know what it does. What, what, what was the attraction for him of buying 40% of this company? Well, on the, yes, I mean, it makes the, uh, the printing presses for, uh, for newspapers, which is a, a dying business. So it had negative free cash flow in 16 of the last 17 uh, years. But it had a stash of cash. Mm. I mean, obviously, a dwindling stash of cash, but I think that's what he was after. So it was clear uh, asset stripping, mm. um, which was another sort of uh, point against them. Uh, that the, the courts don't like that kind of, uh, uh, of asset stripping um, and they do tend to uh, uh, to rule against them. But the, the main point was the speed and opacity of the uh, uh, of the attempted takeover. Okay, well, very interesting story. Thank you for telling us about that. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. And in Tokyo, the Nikkei two two five is down about a third of a percent. Uh, the SX two hundred up zero point four percent. Here in Hong Kong, looks like the Hang Seng uh, is going to open about two hundred points lower. In the quantities markets, Brent crude oil trading at seventy eight dollars ninety five cents a barrel. Gold is at one thousand. $810 an ounce after its slump in New York last night. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, cool and cloudy. One or two light rain patches in the morning. And the outlook is for it to be fine and dry with cool mornings in the next few days. It is 15 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. The fire danger warning signal is red and it's 8.32. Here with the news is Andrew Shawoski. The American state of Wisconsin say a car ramming incident at a Christmas parade on Sunday was not a terrorist event. Five people were killed when Daryl Brooks drove into the crowd in the town of Waukesha. This report from the BBC's Peter Bowes. At least 48 people were injured, including several children, 10 of whom required intensive care treatment. Four women aged between 52 and 79 and a man of 81 were killed. The police say Darrell Brooks had been fleeing from a domestic disturbance when he ploughed into the parade at high speed in a red sports utility vehicle. Local media is reporting that he's currently facing at least five other criminal charges, including for domestic abuse and battery, and that he had been released from jail just two days earlier. One of the government's advisers on COVID-19, microbiologist Yun Kwok Yung, has warned against the use of valve masks after a patient wearing one is suspected to have passed on the virus to another man living next door to him at a quarantine hotel. More from Todd Harding. 
The professor made the comment after inspecting the Regal Airport Hotel, where two imported cases recently stayed. Professor Yun said the first patient most likely infected the other through airborne transmission, as he was wearing a valve mask, which filtered what he breathed in, but not what he breathed out. The Hong Kong University scholar says he's urged government officials to ask inbound travellers to change into a surgical mask when they arrive at the airport. China and the U.S. will team up in a special doubles match at the World Table Tennis Championships next month to mark the 50th anniversary of ping-pong diplomacy, a series of friendly matches between American and Chinese players which heralded a thaw in relations between Beijing and Washington. Here's the BBC's Celia Hatton. In 1971, an American ping-pong player attending the World Championships in Japan that year mistakenly boarded the Chinese team's bus. An unexpected friendship between the players resulted in the famous ping-pong diplomacy matches between China and a visiting American delegation, marking the start of diplomatic ties between Beijing and Washington. Fifty years later, there's scope for history to repeat itself. Mixed American-Chinese pairings in a series of special matches at the upcoming championships in Houston, Texas, will allow, officials say, us all to remember that small exchanges can have a lasting significance. A U.S. senator visiting Northern Ireland has said his country might have to push Britain and the EU into resolving a post-Brexit dispute concerning the region. Chris Murphy, an influential Democrat, said he was concerned about Britain's threat to suspend the Brexit agreement's Northern Ireland protocol. He said it could lead to a trade war between Britain and the UAE, sorry, and the EU. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chatter. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about use of the Leave Home Safe app and later on protests in Europe against COVID-19 measures. Reports say compulsory use of the Leave Home Safe app could start as early as this Thursday at all restaurants and bars. It means that diners would no longer be able to write down their contact details on paper. Earlier this month, five people were arrested by the police for allegedly using a fake app on the day its use became mandatory for entering government premises. Meanwhile, medical experts from the mainland have been visiting Hong Kong to learn more about the city's anti-epidemic work. The SAR government says the visit is important to prepare for the return of quarantine-free cross-border travel. And from uh, 9.15, we'll be talking about the large-scale and often violent protests across Europe over new COVID-19 restrictions. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And we're joined uh, for the first part of the programme this morning by Yang Lin, who's uh, an Associate Professor at the School of Nursing at uh, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. And also on the line, uh, Simon Wong, President of the Federation of Restaurants uh, and Related Trades. Um, uh, Yang Lin, perhaps uh, uh, if we can go to you first. Good morning. Good morning. So, Jim and Ada. Thank, thank you for having me in the program. Yep. Thanks, Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so um, would you support the compulsory use of the Leave Home Safe app? Yes, I definitely support the, the compulsory use of uh, Leave Home Safe because 
it's a really necessary to uh, you know um, a necessary step to 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 control the pandemic, especially if we uh, have the border open soon, and then we should have all this uh, tracing system ready and uh, uh, you know used by everyone in the city. Mm. Um, it, it's sometimes referred to as a contact tracing app, but it's not really, is it? It's, it's, more, it's more of a contact uh, alerting app, um, and it depends on the uh, individual user to, to check it and use it properly. Um, um, do, do you think we might need something um, a, bit, a bit stronger in order to satisfy the mainland authorities that we were uh, tracing people's movements uh, properly and you know, putting them into isolation and dealing with uh, incidents where there may be outbreaks of infections? Well, I, I, uh, you, are, you are absolutely right. Uh, the two uh, tracking systems in Hong Kong and in Medan are very different in terms of uh, architecture they use. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Leap Home Safe app is actually a decentralized architecture, which means uh, all the data actually are stored in their, uh, you know, the mobile phone. In the user's phone. So, yeah. Mm. yeah, in the user's mobile phone. So we don't have any central like uh, servers to store all the information. So it's necessary for everyone to uh, put their uh, information into the system and uh, which facilitate the contact tracing in the future. Mm. And uh, I would say um, the system used in, in mainland actually is very, very uh, brilliant in my point of view. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a difficult uh, uh, task to balance the, um, you know, the privacy issues and also the, the needs of public health. So. Um, for now, I think the loophole safe uh, should be good enough for Hong Kong, uh, and uh, I would say I would see uh, more and more people uh, start to use the app in their daily lives when they uh, when they enter the restaurants, government buildings, and wet markets. Are probably more uh, promised in the future. Um, Professor Lin, I, I was told that, um, yes, at the moment, um, the app, Leave Home Safe, is actually just contact alerting, but um, when uh, we have the open border, it might mean that uh, we need to kind of upload uh, all the information um, at the moment, you know, on that app uh, to, uh, to the mainland authorities so that, you know, they can do the uh, contact tracing uh, at the end. Uh, is that correct, or is that just a rumor? Oh well, uh, I don't have any inside news <laughs> yet. So I, I also uh, got the different rumors from you know different sources as well. Uh, but uh, I, I think you know uh, the tracing system in the mainland they require uh, the registered phone numbers in uh, mainland. Which may not be easily compatible to the leap home safe in Hong Kong. So I think there are a lot of uh, technical issues uh, or problems they need to solve uh, to smooth the you know the, the switch of the health code across the border. Yeah, but for now I, I'm not sure what kind of uh, solution they have. Okay, well uh, Simon Wong, uh, good morning to you. Morning, Jim. Good. 
Good morning. Uh, Simon Wong, President of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Um, so we understand that uh, the use of the Leave Home Safe app may become compulsory from this Thursday. Um, do you have any more information about that? Well, um, about a week ago, we um, have been um, uh, discussing with the government on this issue. And uh, actually, a few months ago, we um, uh, have uh, voiced out our concerns about um, if, um, you know, the customers uh, uh, in the B category uh, still use the um, filling forms uh, to put down their contacts. Uh, that uh, creates a lot of pressure uh, to the frontline people uh, or the frontline staff. And uh, um, in this sense, we uh, feel that, you know, uh, we want uh, uh, the Leave Home Safe um, uh, apps uh, to be used by uh, all restaurants, not just the uh, C and D or, uh, or even the B um, categories. Uh, some people can use uh, the Leave Home Safe or others can uh, fill in the forms. This is, uh, um, has been creating a lot of uh, uh, issues. Uh, particularly in the past months, uh, the uh, government um, has been, um, you know, patrolling uh, to uh, some restaurants and found that uh, some restaurants um, and uh, especially the frontline staff did not uh, check on the details of the, um, uh, you know, the information that the customers uh, wrote down and. Uh, they were being fined, and this is not, um, you know, the fair for the uh, restaurants. Um, and uh, on the other hand, we also see that, um, you know, at this moment, C, uh, C and D category restaurants um, have to use from safe uh, apps, and um, we don't see any particular issues um, from these uh, categories. And um, when you see that uh, at the moment uh, there are about 5,000 uh, restaurants which are already categorized as C and D uh, restaurants, uh, but still uh, we have about uh, 11,000 uh, restaurants. Uh, those are quite small ones, um, you know, small and medium-sized ones. Restaurants they are still in the B uh, categories or even. Uh, some of them are in the A categories. Um, well, uh, it, uh, still some people are using the forms to fill in their contacts. Um, this would uh, still create a lot of uh, problems for the restaurants as well as for the um, uh, customers. And um, so we encourage actually um, to the government that uh, everybody should use uh, the apps instead of uh, filling in the forms. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Simon, do you see any difficulties yeah. in the smaller restaurants, in, you know, say the uh, grassroots areas? Because I, I do see that in Central there'll be no problem. At the moment, everybody mm -hmm. is very used to uh, using the app and um, and they are quite, um, you know, okay with it. But uh, yeah. if you go to the Sham uh, Po, for example, you see uh, very casual restaurants uh, where old people go, and we yeah. cannot assume that every single person um, has uh, has a mobile phone with them. 
So, so you know, with yes. with the Defum Safe app, I think we're assuming that everybody has a mobile phone, and not every single person does. So, what what do you think of that? Well, um, at the moment, uh, about uh, six point four million uh, citizens or residents in Hong Kong has already downloaded uh, the apps, and uh, that means the majority of the population uh, is now using the apps to enter on you know premises such as uh, the government buildings. Uh, or even a lot of uh, uh, restaurants, and even for the B type uh, of restaurants, uh, more than half of the, the customers are already using uh, the apps to enter. Um, so, uh, I well, of course, we also see that uh, some people, like the senior citizens, 65 years old or more, uh, and some uh, children under 12, you know, or some other people that might not be convenient or they even don't, doesn't, they don't have a um, mobile phone with them. Uh, that might create some kind of issues. But um, uh, as uh, the policy, um, you know, stated for the uh, government buildings, uh, some people, um, you know, like the senior citizens or children, uh, they would be exempted from uh, the measures. Uh, so uh, I think that the government would also allow uh, this category of people uh, can be exempted uh, uh, from using the apps. Um, you know, th- uh, we, we, we won't... Uh, um, well, of course, we also see that uh, for some restaurants, like the A-type restaurants, um, uh, especially when you mentioned the some circle uh, area, um, there, of course, uh, we, we we see that uh, some senior citizens or some people uh, doesn't have the the mobile phone with them. Uh, that might uh, have some issues, but um, you know they still can uh, have the flexibility of filling in the uh, the forms. Um, mm. You know, but uh, this is just uh, some minority people not the majority so we uh, as a whole uh, we don't see the, the a, a big a big problem for uh, for using the apps yeah that, there aren't many restaurants at Taipei at the moment are there i mean they, these have to they have to close by 6 p.m. and they can only have two customers at a table is that correct uh yeah Taipei yeah. is yeah Yes. And um, of course, for uh, the Thai tea restaurants, uh, since we still have about uh, 11,000 um, restaurants uh, in the B type restaurant, mm-hmm. um, some restaurant owners may be concerned about uh, their business might be affected. Um, and we also recommend to the, um, we suggest to the, to the government that uh, some uh, social distancing measures may be uh, relaxed. For example, the allowed uh, the B-type restaurants to um, um, have their operating hours until midnight instead of uh, 10 p.m. And um, like uh, the tables, uh, now they, uh, they have a distance of 1.5 meters. Uh, that can be shortened uh, to, for example, 1.2 and um, uh, more tables and chairs can be 
put into the restaurants. Mm-hmm. So uh, that can uh, kind of uh, help uh, this the uh, B-type restaurants uh, to gain, gain more business. Okay. I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners uh, understand, but just to recap, so restaurants are classed into types uh, A, B, C and D, and, and that determines how late they can stay open, how many people they can have uh, on the same table. Um, as you said that earlier, so type C and D restaurants, uh, already customers there have to use the Leave Home Safe app, right? They can't write down their name on a piece of paper. Um, and understand that um, the restaurant and bar industry is uh, is in favour of all establishments being treated the same, so everybody has to use the Leave Home Safe app. Have uh, up till now, have those uh, Type C and D restaurants experienced any particular difficulties with customers? The the interface between staff and customers when people come in and they're asked to use the app. Well, we don't see any particular. Um issues or problems arising from using the apps in the C and D type of restaurants. Uh, especially for the D type restaurants, uh, now now we can, uh, you know, entertain uh, 240 people uh, in a banquet. Uh, and uh, I, well, from what I see or what I know uh, from the industry, um, actually most of the um, guests that come into the banquet uh, already uh, use the uh, Leave Home Safe apps. And um, apart from them, they even have the, uh, you know, vaccination uh, already done. So um, this is not an issue, actually. And um, when people uh, uh, enter into uh, a, a restaurant, if they don't use the apps, um, it's their choice. Um, but uh, we think that and we uh, believe that uh, since the Leave Home Safe apps is uh, quite convenient um, for people to use, um, and more people, uh, if before they might not want to use the apps, but gradually we uh, believe that they will uh, they will uh, uh, use, change their mindset and, and use the apps to enter restaurants. Then okay. um, in the, uh, you know, well, in the short run, uh, some restaurants with the A and B uh, category might get their business affected, but in the long run or medium uh, term, you know, their business uh, would resume. So we, we are not too worried about that. Okay, okay. Um, a, a question here for Professor Yang, uh, this from uh, a caller, John, who said, that, how does the mainland's contact tracing app differ from the Hong Kong app? And does that mean that we will have to follow the mainland uh, in order to uh, go a step further in opening up the border? Well, uh I can explain the, the technical details. Actually, uh, there are two uh, two sets of codes uh, for uh, people in mainland to use. The first is the health code, uh, which is uh, colored in the green, yellow, and red. I, I believe uh, many people know that. Uh, actually, this is the, uh, the, the health code that has been adopted uh, since last year. 
But uh, the second code actually is called the uh, itinerary code, which records the cities where the uh, the people have traveled or, or traveled or visited in the past 14 days. So if uh, one of those cities actually is classified as median risk or the high risk area, there will be uh, uh, an asterisk on that uh, city record on on your record and. Um, Sometimes uh, you'll be restricted from the public transport, such as NPR, uh, airplanes, etc. So um, all this um, mobile app or tra tracing system used uh, in the mainland actually were ba are based on uh, the data or locations provided by the telecom companies. So you you have to register uh, your phone, your records using uh, real name registered phone numbers in the mainland. So uh, I, I think that system uh, is very different from what we use in Hong Kong. I believe there's some kind of, uh, uh, you know, probably we need to register our uh, own, uh, you know, uh, mobile phone uh, when we cross the border. So that's the solution. I think that might be uh, prob uh, proper. Yeah, Professor Yang, I think the main difference is that, um, you know, the mainland system is automatic. Uh, you, yeah. uh, you, you have and to have the, the real name. Yeah, the, yeah, you use yeah. the real name and you have the phone and so it does automatic tracking. And it sure, tells yeah. you whether, you know, you're green today or you're yellow today, uh, depending on, mm -hmm. you know, where you have been in the last couple of days. Yeah. Right, so it's not like Hong Kong where you have to really... Uh, scan a QR code every single time you you go to a public building or a market or a restaurant. Right, right, and uh, all the uh, it's totally voluntary. So uh, unless it, it becomes mandatory uh, for everyone to enter uh, restaurants or the other buildings as well. So that's why I I, I mentioned early on that uh, it's truly necessary for everyone to get used to using it. To make it uh, more useful in terms of uh, contact tracing. Yeah, now everybody is talking about the app, and um, most people are vaccinated in Hong Kong. I see that um, you know they don't really care much about social distancing anymore. In restaurants, of course, in the in the D restaurants, uh, you get uh, banquets of twelve people on each table, and in the bars, uh, a lot of people just uh, stand around uh, and drink about six to eight people minimum. So, um, I mean, to you, is social distancing equally important still? Yeah, very, very important indeed. So if we see the, uh, you know, experience from uh, other countries like uh, Singapore and, uh, you know, uh, the country, if we relax the social distancing too fast, that will be uh, creating some problems uh, because we, we now have a lot of variants which are more transmissible than uh, the wild type we had before. And uh, um, so the vaccination may not be uh, good enough to, uh, to stop the transmission in, in, in that sense. Uh, although we, we should get vaccinated to uh, reduce the you know, severe cases. But uh, at the same time, we need to keep the social distancing and uh, the relaxation of such social distancing measures should be step by step and uh, after casual, careful uh, measurement of the current situation. Mm. Um, Simon Wong, um, how is the restaurant trade uh, doing now? 
Um, first of all, uh, we are uh, quite uh, happy about uh, using the apps uh, for the customers. And mm-hmm. customers actually um, were uh, willing to use the apps when going into C&D. And, um, and actually, we see that uh, the business for the C&D uh, type of restaurants has uh, been um, quite uh, you know, healthy, growing. Uh, like, uh, you know, especially in the past uh, few months, when the electronic voucher has been launched, uh, we see that uh, a lot of people are going to the streets and you know, dine in the restaurants. And um, our business has been recovered. And uh, we actually welcome the idea of uh, having more, pre- more measures on, um, you know, controlling the uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, of course, we have to strike a balance between uh, the pandemic and the business. And at this moment, I, well, we see that uh, the government uh, has been doing uh, a good job. Um, you know, by uh, you know, if we compare the the uh, situation in uh, other countries like Singapore or even in Europe, European countries, um, you know, our our the, uh, measure and the result of what we have been doing are quite uh, you know um, you know promising. Yeah, good result. And, um, yeah, we 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 hope that you know the mandatory, um, you know, leave home safe uh, measure can be launched very soon. Okay, okay. Well, uh, thanks very much. Uh, uh, we're coming up to the news summary at nine o'clock. We have to say thank you and uh, goodbye for now to Simon Wong there, President of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Uh, thank you also very much to Yang Lin, Associate Professor at the School of Nursing at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. We'll have uh, two more guests uh, after the break. Uh, a quick look at the weather. Uh, cool and uh, cloudy, dry during the day, top temperature around 20 degrees. Uh, the outlook, uh, fine and dry with cool mornings in the next uh, few days. Temperature difference between day and night will be relatively large. It's currently 15 degrees, humidity 78%. Careful in all circumstances. That's why we so urgently recommend vaccination. It's really very, very, You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about use of the uh, Leave Home Safe app with reports saying that uh, compulsory use of the app could start as early as this week on Thursday at all of the territory's uh, 16,000 restaurants and bars. Um, We've got an email here from a listener... GT says, uh, I don't have a smartphone. Will the government buy me one? Um, Obviously, you've got to have a smartphone to use the app. Um, uh, Do get in touch. You can uh, email us on uh, backchat at rthk radio, uh, sorry, backchat at rthk.hk. Leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio 3, or you can give us a call on 233 That's 233 And we're joined uh, now on the line 
by uh, Wong Kam Fai, who's uh, <coughs> director of the Center for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University and also professor at the Department of Systems Engineering and Engineering Management. And also on the line, Ivan Lin, a community organiser with the Society for Community Organisation. And by the way, uh, a little later in the programme, we're going to be talking about the uh, disturbances uh, in Europe over the uh, COVID-19 restrictions. Um, so, uh, uh, Professor Wong, uh, good morning, morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we were talking before the break about the differences between the uh, the Hong Kong app, the Leave Home Safe app, and the Mainland uh, Health Code. Um, we've ha had this uh, a team of mainland experts uh, in town for the past four days, inspecting various facilities and so on. Uh, it's hoped that the border will open sometime soon, possibly later next month. Um, do you think that uh, our the, the Leave Home Safe app is going to have to be adapted to be more in line with uh, mainland requirements? As closely as possible. Mm. I mean, the, the, the issue now is that you are knocking on somebody somebody's door and then you hope that the door is open to you. So therefore, you, you have to follow the, the, you know, the guidelines. So, but, but, but they are, you know, they, 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 they understand our situation uh, and they are willing, I mean, I mean, in China, and they are willing to discuss with us. And for this reason, um, the, the, the team came over and took a look at our situation. I mean, the big difference is that um, over in Hong Kong, when we use our leave home safe, uh, we are kind of more passive in, in some sense. Uh, the, the, all the information is currently uh, is only done by the, uh, by the, uh, but the users themselves, mm. you know, they actually do the QR code, and and, and all the all the all the information will be stored uh, in the uh, in the telephone, in the uh, in the mobile phone. And the suggestion is that um, the government will actually uh, take these records, the the pharmacy records, and and sort of upload it to the server uh, if that person wants to cross the border. So, uh, but over the other side, they have uh, tracing ability. So uh, the, the actual trace where you go, uh, whether you, if you have been to somewhere risky, then uh, they can change the color from green to red. And once changed to red, then you can't, you, you, they will stop you from going anywhere. So it's, it's very different, okay? So, uh, and, and, and because of, uh, you know, the privacy issues in Hong Kong, uh, uh, the, the we are not following that route, uh, so so I think we have to negotiate more with the uh, with the with the with the, with, with the mainland government uh, in order to get this settled up. I think they they are they are receptive. Right. So, um, uh, Professor Wong, uh, yeah. I uh, do we need a like a new version of the Leave Home Safe app to do this, like a two point version, or? Or just that the government will upload, let's say, two weeks of information uh, to the mainland, so that uh, when we open the health code uh, uh, in the mainland, um, there will be some baseline data or, or whatever. Well, uh, not on the Hong Kong side. You don't. You, you, don't, you don't need to. Uh, uh, but you have to uh, make a consent that uh, you are. You know, for those people who are willing to travel, want to want to travel. Uh, they will have to make the consent that they're willing to pass their information uh, to the other side. 
So uh, on the mainland side, uh, does their system track everybody's movements all the time? Currently, yes. Mm. Yes. The locals, yes. Yeah, because, of course, uh, on on this side, um, it doesn't, does it? I mean, the Leave Home Safe app, it depends on the user to use it properly, and and, and it would only... only Scan your presence if you're in, if you're in a government uh, building, for instance, or if you're in a bar or a restaurant. Um, so so there, there will be big gaps in where you've been at certain times. Yeah. So so they may people may, may miss reporting or they may kind of report you know wrong information. That's that's the that's the, that's the worry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <coughs> uh, is there is there a, a, a technical way of of getting round that, of dealing with that, of Im- improving that situation? I don't think so, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this is all about discipline of individuals, yeah. whether they want to do it properly or not. As you said, as you, as you understand that there were some odd cases around, some people are so so uh, you know reluctant to do it that they they they, they actually use um, a fake leave home safe. Uh, APP. Mm. I think they called it uh, return home safe, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, mm. You know, uh, you know, just to provide, just to just to bypass, uh, you know, you know, that that leave home safe uh, reporting system. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, we also have with us uh, Ivan Lin, who's a community organisation with the Society for Community Organisation. Uh, good morning to you. So you do a, a lot of work with uh, elderly people and uh, less well-off people. Um, what, what sort of problems do you think may arise if the use of the app becomes uh, compulsory in all uh, restaurants and bars? I think there is uh, clearly a digital barrier, for, especially for the elderly and the grassroots, uh, because uh, there are several barriers. First, uh, they have to purchase a smartphone, which will cost uh, uh, $1,000 plus. And also there is the problem of monthly fee because uh, many of them, uh, they use a prepaid SIM card. And uh, well, some of the elder complains to me that uh, before Live Home Safe is compulsory, they, they use the SIM card uh, for half a year. Uh, it's, it's just uh, uh, $30, $50. But uh, after that, uh, they have to pay a monthly fee for the phone, so it's $50 for one month only. And also, uh, many of the elderly living alone, they don't have somebody uh, to provide support for them. So even if they uh, give them the phone and uh, pay for the monthly fee, uh, they still worry that they don't know how to operate the app. Um, so, um, Ivan, on the uh, or you know, on the issue of not having the right phone and not the smartphone, um, I well, could this be done very quickly through charity and philanthropy? I'm quite sure that um, there are people who are willing to donate. Um, the, well, the issue is how many do we need at the moment? Well, I think there is a big gap because uh, according to last year's figures from the censor. Uh, uh, there are still uh, one third of the elderly population who doesn't own a smartphone. So we are talking like uh, 400,000 people here. And uh, I don't think we could provide that much phone that quickly. Uh, there is a gap because uh, in our welfare system, there is no uh, allowance for uh, grassroots people to uh, pay for the monthly uh, internet fee and uh, also purchase digital device. So we, we we have a lot to catch up. So would you 
sort of say to the authorities that there should be an allowance for elderly people to buy mobile phones or whatever? Yeah, of course, uh, because strangely we see in the uh, welfare system uh, uh, children are paid for. Uh, children have a special allowance uh, to go on the internet, but uh, not the elderly. So I think we definitely need to change that. And uh, also the welfare system, the baseline is that in the 90s. So, uh, well, we, we don't have that need in the 90s, but now uh, internet fee and smartphone become uh, a necessity. Well, to me, that seems uh, easier to, to, to be dealt with because if the government uh, passes this policy, um, this can come into effect. Uh, but, but the problem is, uh, you know, are the elderly people willing to use it and um, do they know how to use it and who can help them? So there needs to be like a social network and a community network. Did you know um, of people who don't know how to use a phone, who, who, I mean, or, or don't have the app and they don't go to market these days or they can't go into restaurants? Oh, yes. Uh, some of them uh, try to uh, bypass the system and sneak in. But, uh, well, many of them, even if they uh, uh, provide them with the smartphone, uh, they, they still need to learn how to use it. And uh, the, the gap is widened because uh, smartphones have been invented for over a decade, and now uh, the designers assume that you know how to operate it. But uh, they, they, they need time to catch up. Right. Uh, Professor Wong, so yeah. if, if a third of elderly people don't have uh, mobile phones, so what do you think uh, can be done about uh, about that situation? What can be done for them if they need to, you know, access government facilities and so on, where you have to scan the QR code? Oh, but my understanding is that uh, the for elderly over sixty-five and for children under twelve. Oh, you're right. They're exempt. They're, they're, they're yeah, that's Until right. They? That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you're quite right. But, 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 I, mean, but I, I do concur with uh, the other, uh, 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 the, uh, the other guest's view on digital divides. I think, I think uh, I have been to site visits before uh, for elderly uh, when they were using this wristband thing. Uh, it wasn't the technology itself. It's actually uh, the elderly staying at home. They can't even charge their phone. Mm. So you really have to take care of them. I mean, like the SIM card, for example, their data card. And then once they finish, I mean, they need help to get it recharged. And sometimes they don't even have the money to recharge them. Right. I do I do acknowledge that, that issue. Um, but as far as this uh, legal state is concerned, I think uh, in the interim, uh, the, what the government is offering is that over 65 uh, are exempted and under 12 are exempted. Okay, and, and how about, um, I mean, as far as you know, how about these people going across uh, to the mainland? Um, surely they have to have the phones and then they have to have the health code and, and there's no exemption? Well, I think, I think for them, uh, uh, I, I think most of you have been across the border before. Uh, they have, uh, usually they have special treatment for elderly uh, or underprivileged. Uh, I, think, uh, I think they would have to work out some kind of policy uh, to to handle that group of people. Yeah. For example, you know, you know they, they have a special lane <laughs> for elderly people to go to, to go across. I think they can they can uh, they can use something different to cater for this group of people. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, an email here from uh, from James says uh, 
dear Backchat, uh, this whole conversation becomes more of, of a moot point if the government simply mandates compulsory vaccination for entrance into any venue, including the employees working at these establishments, uh, then you're just showing that you are vaccinated or have a dispensation for not being. Um, um, slightly different uh, issue uh, there, uh, Ivan Lin, but um, we've spoken a lot before about the relatively uh, low rate of vaccination among the elderly population. Mm -hmm. I mean, how concerned are you about that? Well, uh, well the vaccination programme has gone on for quite some time now, so uh, it's really difficult to convince uh, the elder who haven't yet taken the vaccine to take it now because they obviously make up their mind. Uh, I think some of the concern is uh, on the health side. So uh, we propose uh, subsidized uh, basic body checks for uh, grassroots people. If, if they're really concerned, they, they could take the uh, test. Uh, probably in in private GP, so it won't affect the operation of X-ray clinic. And also, uh, we need. Uh, I think we we need to see a clear uh, policy outline uh, on the social distancing measure. Uh, what if I take the vaccine? What will happen? Um, will, will, will it be easier to go to the the, the restaurant to, to visit someone in the hospital or something? Uh, I think that that is a big incentive uh, for elderly people as well. Well, these incentives are here already, except the hospital part. Um, I mean, could there be another network whereby, let's say, they don't go into markets, but there are lots of street side shops? And the smaller shops, uh, uh, you know, curbside, which, you know, they, they don't need if they leave from, say, them, so they would just go and buy their food stuff there. Well, yes, they are currently doing that right now. But, uh, well, there are uh, talks about uh, all venue, all restaurants should use the live home safe. It's compulsory to use the live home safe. And uh, I think that there will be a big hit if. Uh, if uh, their everyday life and not even going to the market or going to uh, uh, the restaurant will be affected. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, thank you uh, very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Um, Ivan Lin, you heard their community organisation for the Society for Community Organisation. And thank you very much to Wong Kam Fai, Director of the Centre for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University and also Professor at the Department of Systems Engineering and Engineering Management. Um, we're going to be turning our attention um, overseas uh, for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the programme on a, a similar issue, still talking about uh, matters uh, surrounding uh, the coronavirus, uh, anti-coronavirus measures. Um, uh, there's been, uh, you will have seen on the news, uh, a lot of trouble in uh, in European cities, uh, in in Brussels, in Belgium, in in uh, in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam, in the Hague, um, and other parts of Europe. Uh, uh, and Europe, of course, is, is struggling. Um, certain areas of Europe, uh, certain countries, with a. Uh, a large increase in coronavirus infections um, having uh, opened up um, their economies. Um, we're joined on the line now by Professor Alistair Cole, who's head of the Department of Government and International Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. So, so w w what do you make of the scenes that we've been seeing from, uh, from Europe? Uh, it l looks pretty bad. 
Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, I think in a sense we can... Um I'd read them at two levels. I think at the first level, it's uh, it, you see that where those, you know, where the uh, the, the 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 outbreaks have been the most, or the, the protests rather, have been the most uh, vivid. They're, mm. they're sort of kind of in countries where there's a long tradition of uh, defence of public liberties. I think of the Netherlands, for example, um, and where you know the, the, the tolerance level really of the uh, confining measures that have been taking place over the past, you know year or more than a year they you know they, they've reached their limits and so i think in a sense that that's at the first level it's really a kind of a spontaneous reaction i think at the second level what's interesting is to see the difference between different types of european country i mean clearly we have i mean in a sense the, the southern european countries very much driven by uh, the need to defend the the the, the, the tourist season as they were this summer at least but i think we see in countries like um you know uh, germany austria then there's, there's a real there's been a real reluctance to get vaccinated uh particularly the austrian case is a good one here and so we we we, we kind of see in a way the reaction to the uh to the reluctance to be vaccinated from still quite a large proportion of the population um so i think in a sense funny enough i think from in a comparative sense the the, the protests demonstrate rather different responses from different states and indeed different traditions uh if you think just to finish on this i mean if we think of the uh the French case, which has been one of the most, uh, actually one of the most uh, uh, hard line, really, with a health passport, you know, um, there's been a very robust uh, street action going on ever since that decision was made back in the summer. Yeah. How do you account for that uh, reluctance among, uh, you know, a rather large uh, portion of uh, European populations not to be vaccinated? I think there's um, that's a, again that, 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 that's a good question. I think there is um, there are there's a large of course there is actually a variation between the different countries. But I think in mm -hmm. a, you know in, in some senses there's still a very strong belief that uh, being vaccinated or not is an individual choice. It's a, it's a choice that should be made at the level of individual liberties. And there are there's a there's also a health choice. You know there are some people who fear rightly or wrongly uh, about the impact of the the vaccination. Uh, they don't know. Uh, particularly with the ARN, they're not quite sure really uh, what, whether it's been fully tested, properly tested, what the longer term effects will be. So, you know, I think amongst the anti-vaxxers, if you like, there are different, there are also different clientels, you know, um, and that's been reflected in the demonstrations. Sometimes, you know, it's been uh, the, the anti-vaccination demonstrations have uh, encompassed people of all different sort of ages, uh, which is, uh, you know, one of the striking features. Mm. Yeah, from um, you know, from from the news, uh, there you know there there are uh, protests, but uh, there was also looting. So how 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 would you make sense of that? I think this is. Uh, I mean, I think in a sense, the uh, where there was violence and looting was. Uh, uh, I suppose in, a, in you know this was a byproduct of the, uh, of, the of the process really of of, of social mobilisation around the what would perceived to be the, the, the deprivation of uh, of liberties. I mean, I think unfortunately, wherever there is a social protest, there is frequently uh, a process of, of looting that, that, that goes on um, alongside it. I mean, I think back to, again to the French case, uh, and even pre-vaccine, you know, the, the Yellow Vest movement was... Uh, for 18 months or so there were protests every weekend and most of those protesters were perfectly fine in a way but there was a minority you know that that profited from the situation to engage in these practices 
Yeah, the, the, the rhetoric is being uh, ramped up somewhat, isn't it? See, the, uh, uh, you've seen this uh, warning from the German um, health minister. It says, uh, by the end of this winter, everyone in Germany will either be vaccinated, recovered or dead. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely. From Jens yeah. Spahn. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a very interesting comment, that, because in a sense, it, it demonstrates that, the, and the German case is a very interesting one here, because, you know, only, you know, under 70% of Germans have been fully vaccinated. So here we see that, you know, there's, there's deep reluctance to make some elements of Germany society to be vaccinated it's very clear um for the reasons that I, you know, that I explained before. But I think, you know, what, what the governments do in this situation, they've got a limited range of tools at their disposal. They can go for complete lockdown, but clearly governments want to avoid that if possible. It created tremendous economic damage and, in a way, social and psychological instability when it, when it happened. So if they're not going to go for a, a sort of authoritarian-type response, then, they, you know, the, their tools are a bit limited. I think, in a way, it's interesting to look at again, the French case, where they insisted on the, the health passport back in the summer. And they would say it's been a success because the vaccination levels now are very, very high in France, much higher than in Germany, for example, where responses have been, uh, I suppose, a bit, you know, a bit, a bit less authoritative. So I think the governments, uh, and, you know, and again, I think the UK is obviously no longer in the EU, but clearly in the UK context have been very, very, in a way, disparate responses according to the, uh, the particular nations of the UK. So I think in a way, you know, the governments are faced with very, very difficult choices. They're not sure really whether the choices they make will be the right ones in the medium and the long term. And to some extent, they're a bit constrained by the type of uh, societies and states they function within, it seems to me. Mm. I mean, just for comparison, I mean, there are also uh, anti-vaxxers uh, in the United States, uh, but we have not seen such protests yet and the students are required to be vaccinated to go into universities and somehow everybody complied with it and you know sort of green pass certificates are also required for workers going to different public buildings and that was um, that was quite fine with, with everybody uh, is, why, why is there such a difference between USA and Europe I think the US <laughs> question. I mean, I think in a sense, I wouldn't quite agree with your, with, with your view of the USA. I mean, I think, I think there has been a lot of sort of, you know, uh, protests also in the USA. But I think in Europe, there's, there's very, there are very clearly different uh, rooted traditions of how, in a sense, individual liberties play out against collective security, if you like. And I think in a way, you know, so, so, so there has been, and, and we can see this with the difficulty of not just vaccination, but of health passports, you know, and, and, and the extent to which in some circumstances these have been pushed through by the, by the government effectively, as in France, in other cases there's been strong resistance to this. I think in a sense, you know, governments, they react, they understand to some extent what are the social limits within their countries. They're trying desperately, as I read it, not to go back to a situation of, which of uh, you know, almost total lockdown and uh, rolling back of economic activities, trying to avoid that. Um, if, however, uh, you know, if, however, that is the case, then, uh, then that will presumably be the case. But I think at the moment we can explain those differences by, you know, the, the feeling that the different states have of the uh, limits of uh, social acceptability of the measures in their own countries. 
the UK is an interesting case, isn't it? Because uh, although the number of the number of new uh, infections has gone up, as I understand it, the number of hospitalizations is coming down, and the number yeah. of fatalities seems to have stabilised. So, is that going to be some sort of a vindication? Do you think for the for the UK government in its uh, COVID strategy of uh, Liberation Day? I think they called it, didn't they, in, back in July? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, vindication? I'm not quite so sure. I think what we what we might say, and this is interesting. I mean, clearly there was a major, major push early on in the UK for vaccination. Uh, there was a lot of controversy, if you remember, with the European Union over that because of the, uh, the, the role of AstraZeneca and so on. But I mean, basically, however we interpret that, there was a big push early on and the vaccination was clearly successful in many senses. You know, I mean, I think when we, can, when we look at the, uh, obviously, the very high numbers uh, of, of uh, the infections in the UK, but the relatively low, low numbers of deaths, then... Whether this is a vindication or not is I, I won't I won't pass judgment on, but it's certainly um, a comparison. You know, it, it, there's certainly a sense in which the, the the push to 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 get people vaccinated earlier on uh, seems to have paid off. I mean, um, there are, however, I think in the UK and in other countries, there was um, the problem with ideas of Liberation Day, or as they said in Austria, the, the pandemic's over, or Macron sort of it's all behind us. The problem with these sort of statements are they do encourage, um, uh, you know, a, a weakening of social distancing, a lessening of wearing masks, of course, all of those measures, and, and that does create problems. This is one of the problems I think we're seeing at the moment. OK, well, thanks very much for uh, joining us uh, on the programme this morning. That was uh, Professor Alistair Cole there, who's head of the Department of Government and International Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University. Um, a couple of more uh, emails from listeners just before we uh, wrap up this morning's programme. Uh, Leslie writes, uh, the Leave Home Safe app should have been compulsory from the very beginning, from the date that it was available. It is true that many older people struggle with technology and may not even have a smartphone. We could accommodate these people the issue is that many other people for one reason or another don't act responsibly and don't want to use the app because it is provided by the government this should not be seen as a political issue it should be seen as a civic responsibility come on hong kong we can do better don't put the responsibility onto restaurant operators uh, that from uh, Leslie and uh, David writes uh, we know there is a phone tracker system to track stolen telephones uh, on the number and we know that uh, Google tracks you all the time where you've been and at what times so surely all the government has to do is put in the time and location and they have got you that's from uh, David. OK, um, thank you very much to all of our listeners and thanks once again to you Ada Thank you, Jim. OK, and a quick look uh, at the weather before we go to the new summary and morning brew. Uh, cool and cloudy. Uh, one or two light rain patches uh, this morning, uh, dry during the day, top temperature around 20 degrees, becoming fine later, moderate to fresh northerly winds, occasionally strong offshore at first. The outlook, fine and dry with cool mornings in the next few days. Currently, it is 15 degrees, humidity 78%, and the red fire danger warning is in effect. The Smart ID Card replacement exercise is for me and for you. If you hold the old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1980 to 1982, you must replace your ID Card from November 19th, 2021 to January 18th, 2022. You may bring two family members or friends aged 65 or above 
and two persons with disabilities to replace ID cards together. Let's build a caring and inclusive society. Remember to book ahead. Now the new summary with Andrew Shirovsky. Police in the American state of Wisconsin say a car ramming incident at a Christmas parade on Sunday was not a terrorist event. Five people were killed and 48 others injured when Daryl Brooks drove into the crowd in the town of Waukesha. The chief of police in Waukesha, Dan Thompson, said the suspect was a local man who had fled a domestic disturbance. The suspect will be charged with five counts of intentional homicide. One of the government's advisors on COVID-19, microbiologist Yun Kwok Yung, has warned against the use of valve masks after a patient wearing one is suspected to have passed on the virus to another man living next door to him at a quarantine hotel. And President Biden has picked Jerome Powell to lead the Federal Reserve for a second four-year term. The nomination is an endorsement of Mr. Powell's stewardship of the U.S. economy through a sharp pandemic recession. Those are the news headlines on RTHK. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you, too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, you're good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. It is the morning brew. Tuesday means we're going to get some great Aussie music and all the news from down under that's fit to broadcast from Jared Watt. That is at 10.40. Dr. Merrin Pierce, 11.10 as always, he's talking about high-tech PET plastic recycling with Nigel Matrevers, a waste and resource recovery specialist from the Alba Group. Nigel was on with us before and we took a tour of the eco park. The guy really knows his onions. We'll be on Facebook Live. Morris is busy today, so he'll be with us tomorrow. So at 12.10, explorer and coastier Paul Neal returns, as promised, a few days ago, live from Titan Country Park, where he and a group of experts are on a treasure hunt. They are hunting for a downed American Second World War plane, and he says they've already found some amazing stuff. He's going to be on Facebook Live as well with a couple of colleagues. 